Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-hosts Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Call us live on air to have your voice heard. 847 866 9687. All right, tonight it's that time of year again. Brackets have been filled out across the country. Upsets abound. Fans are going crazy. It's the International Opera Awards, of course. The OBS team breaks down the categories, gives you insider info on the nominees, and predicts some winners in our two part chalk talk segment. And then at 9.40 p.m., it's the two minute drill. We get you up to speed on everything from the past week in Opera Land. And our hot takes on those stories. We got a great show for you tonight and a great panel for you tonight as well. Oliver Camacho in the house. How you doing? Happy uh, NBA Finals? No, March <laughs> March, March Madness in April, right? It's like exactly. the NCAA, is that what it is? Yes, it's yes, NCAA it is. It is. Finals Day. It's the Yay, finals. Sports uh, just before the buzzer. Yeah, just exactly. before the buzzer, exactly. The, it's the, like an audition. It's like, it's, like the, it's like the last call. The short story on that, of course. Uh, oh, I should first uh, welcome uh, Matt Cummings to the studio. That's me. Hello, everyone. And Weston Williams. And that's me. Hello, hello. It's copying. The short now. story on the NCAAs was um, that, uh, of course, my Michigan Wolverines are playing in the final tonight, down by four against Villanova. But Tob- Tobias writes, Kansas Jayhawks, they never made it. Uh, neither did our neighbors, the Loyola Ramblers. Yeah, yes. Local boys a, didn't didn't quite pull it off. That was a shame. Had yeah. a great run. It was a, it was a great run for the Ramblers from Rogers Park, but it's it's over now. But so. everybody in our community is talking about Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, I loved it. Did you watch? It? I, I, loved I was it. <laughs> at a party. I didn't watch it, but I kept watching Facebook explode. <laughs> like people were live blogging, and it sounded like a really good time. I mean, it, there were some interesting choices. There were some yeah. great choices. I unironically adore that musical. <laughs> yeah. so. this George, was, you're this, a big Jesus Christ Superstar fan. Oh, I love watch? Jesus Christ Superstar. But now this is the thing. Jewish. It was uh, Well, I know. Hey, so was Jesus. So thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, but wait, it was John Legend. He was doing like this different version of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, it was a lot. A lot of the keys were lower, and there was no rock screaming. But I saw on Twitter today that the guy who did it in the movie in 1973, Ted Neely, who was now 73 years old wow. or something like that, is still on tour doing Jesus Jeez. Christ Superstar. That's crazy. That is and he retweeted crazy. Lin-Manuel Miranda, who posted a video of him doing it in college. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. 
Opera Box score on WNUR 89.3 FM. It's the 2018 International Opera Awards. These are uh, an annual tradition, I guess you could say, since 2013, a celebration of excellence in opera around the world, raising the profile as of opera as an art form and recognizing and rewarding success in opera. The awards also generate funds to provide scholarships for singers, directors, and conductors. The, the jury list on this is huge, actually. I mean, there's like two dozen people on the jury, uh, including Emma Jett from the Washington Post. And here in America, uh, Evans Meregayas, the artistic director at Cincinnati Opera. The um, red carpet ceremony is held at the London Coliseum, and apparently the dress code is glamorous. Ooh, <laughs> that really, really exactly how up. we're yeah. dressed right now, yeah. which none of you would not know. <laughs> but what we want to do tonight is talk you through all the various categories. Not well, most of the, the categories. categories. Yeah, yeah. Some we we had to pare it down a yeah. little bit. Actually, it's like there's like the technical awards, which like the Oscars do like the day before because nobody wants to watch it. So. Ex- that's exactly. By right. the way, there's a podcast uh, called Opera Now, which some of you might have heard of. And what? we were the first podcast to talk about the International Opera Awards when they were original, when they were inaugurated. And we dubbed them the Hymens, named after the founder of the opera, or the, yeah, the founder of the Opera Awards. So I don't know if we want to carry on that tradition or if we'll save that for opera now, but um, it's a thing. <laughs> well, uh, look, let's get right to it. Uh, we kind of split up some of the categories okay. here. And Hymans, um, yeah. Matt Cummings, you're going to go first for us and, and talk about some of the, the male singer candidates and, and you're going to give us a, a pick by the end of it and then next week the awards are uh, next Monday night they're in London but they should be done by the time we go on the air next Monday so hoping that uh, we can tell on our next week's show and audience you're more than welcome to fill out your own bracket and submit it to us or post it on the Facebook post for this episode so we could see who uh, who got closest. Yeah, you know? and they will win an indeterminate prize. <laughs> it's a very Ooh. special prize. <laughs> Take it away, Matt. So run us down the names, and uh, we've got some clips we can listen to as well. Yeah, so the be- best male singer category is kind of split between some old stalwarts and some young up-and-comers. On the, on the one side, you got uh, Polish tenor Piotr Bachawa, Swedish baritone Peter Matei, uh, African American bass Eric Owens, and then there's also the, a young Austrian bass Günther Koisberg, uh, Italian baritone Simone Piazzola, and a young American tenor who mostly sings in Europe, Michael Spires. And uh, a lot of these guys are making kind of kind of making waves for being the next for for all for being the next big thing, especially in my opinion as a young tenor, Michael Spires. Why don't we listen to Michael let's, Spires? Let's let's start there. Oh, 
So it, what is crazy to me about that Bellini aria is that those are high Fs, I think, and they sound like nothing. They yeah. they just are absolutely costing him nothing and still really staying absolutely lined up so that he can come down so easily. Yeah. You can always tell if, if there's a possibility of a downward portamento that it's on the breath or that's lined up because there are some people who will do that high note as like a whistle tone like men don't have a whistle tone but sort of like the equivalent of whistle tone and it's completely disconnected it's a different register altogether you know but he's he's lining it up and it's extremely impressive it, and it's not ugly it's it not it sounds a, like it's in falsetto the really high notes to me but i'm obviously wrong if it was in falsetto it wouldn't be as loud yeah there, there's a little bit more flexibility in the chords than than you would get in maybe like a high b or high c where yeah. this there's still so there's more tension in them but you can't sing with that much tension up there in the same way it, it kind of has to loosen up and so it sounds a little bit airier but there's there's some core there that's that's different than than what you would expect from a from a full-on falsetto sound. so then is he your leader for the he's like the pick that we wish would win but we're realistic <laughs> but I, I have another person that falls in that category that somebody i wish would win uh this is going to be the austrian bass gunter Groisberg. Uh, from a, a record, from a live performance of Rosenkavalier singing his signature role, Bare Knocks. He was in the uh, Mets HD production of Rosenkavalier, mm-hmm. yeah, which which really highlighted what is special about him singing that role, Baron Ox, which is often done by a gross old man, and he is not that. He is he is a beefcake. Yeah. <laughs> he's a young guy. He's really buff, and mo- yeah. and a lot of the pictures production stills yeah. of him online really. They always want him to take off his shirt or something yeah. like that. Yeah, he's got great shoulders and he's got like just the right amount of chest hair. He's like... just he's a phenomenal actor as well. Yeah, no, I'm a I'm he, I'm into it. He's really <laughs> incredible. I'm the future Mrs. Groisbach. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another singer we'd like to listen to, uh, just to, because we know Eric Owens, we know Piotr Bachawa, and most of us know Peter Matei. Uh, we're going to listen to the one unusual, kind of an unknown name here, the baritone from Italy, um, Simone Piazzola, uh, singing sort of like the middle section of Eddie Two from Ballad Mascara. Thank you. 
So he's pretty young. He's only thirty-two or thirty-three, yes. and he's already mm. he's already dipping his foot into the big boy rap, and he's clearly got chops. Yeah, I mean, it, there is a certain thing about the Italian baritones where they don't actually have like the lower part of their voices, but they they're great at accessing the high note. And obviously, the tone is impressive, but I, I don't feel like it's a completely like voce spiegato. Like it's not like completely free it's not you know yeah when you compare him against some of the other singers yeah. i i think it's great to be highlighting up and comers in this yeah. competition but i i would think that he is probably a long and especially since yeah. we just lost dmitry vodoslovsky who like sings the, the hell out of that aria right you know? and that like, was hit one of his yeah. roles but i i get the feeling that bitch hall is gonna get it he's having a moment i mean yeah. he's got so he had that high profile lowengrin he has the high profile louisa miller at the met right now it's he's really the go-to in his category yeah yeah, he's. I think he's kind of a, a boring pick to have. Just in, no, <gasps> yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, I think he's. I think he's, he's a safe pick. He's safe. Mean. He's a safe pick. Yeah. I, 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 do think he's. He's very good, but uh, I, I, I always feel like I'm missing a little bit of something whenever I, whenever I hear him. He feels hmm. kind of middle of the road, technically very proficient, but kind of. I know he, he's just not quite missing that. He's missing that little thing of greatness that I think. Well, the previous winners, uh, 2014, Heldon Tanner, Stuart Skelton. Does oh, he, yeah. You know Skelton? Oh, yeah, I love Skelton. Yeah, he's, okay. sing, he's singing in Europe mostly. Yeah. I think a, that's going to be the common theme with yeah. this. Um, a lot of these singers. That's don't. true. Uh, Christian Gerard uh, was the 2015 winner, who to me is more of like a stylist and not so much like a big. I think of op- him more as a leader singer. I'm yeah. sure he does op- uh, yeah. opera too, but. Uh, and. 2016, uh, Gregory Kunde, who, who's been singing for about 800 years, yeah, and, and has his, sung everything from Rossini to Otello. Yeah, exactly, and his his technique is solid, and he keeps getting able, being able to do progressively more difficult repertoire, even though his repertoire was difficult from the start. Right. And then last year, Larry Brownlee, um, who is the same type of singer as Michael Spires, which is another reason why Michael Spires probably won't win it this year. You know. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. We are talking through the International Opera Awards, which are next Monday night. We're giving you our inside takes and our hot picks. Just on the male singer category. And moving on to education and outreach. Weston, take it away. I know this is kind of one of those, you know, little technical categories that you forget <laughs> at the Oscars. But I want, I did want to kind of give a little bit of a shout out here um, to Chicago Opera Theater. Kind of the uh, home, home, uh, home team here. I just wanted to mention it because I think they have a legitimate chance to win. Uh, I mean, they're up against Florida Grand, uh, Garzington Opera, which is in London, I believe, uh, La Monet, which is a uh, in Brussels, Opera Holland Park, Polish National Opera. And first of all, I think for education and outreach, you really need to give the award to an American company, because we need it the most, we, the education and the outreach. We don't get grants. We don't. From the... Yeah, we don't get any of that stuff. I so feel like I, we invented it. So I think with that in mind, we got to have Florida Grand Opera or Chicago Opera Theater and I know Chicago Opera Theater very well because I've worked with them in their education outreach department, and they have a neat program where they go out to um, the CPS, Chicago Public Schools in the area. They they teach these kids all about opera. They create their own opera over the course of a semester. It's a really, really neat program um, that I think has a legitimate chance to win here, and that's kind of my... Shout out for the home team for this category. They certainly cannot be the favorite here against some huge national companies like Monet and Polish National Opera. That said, they have been doing this a long time, education and outreach. It's well organized. It's Mm -hmm. pervasive through Chicago, and I mean that in a good way. So, hey, what do we know about? I was hoping. I don't have anything about the other companies. Yeah, I looked looked them up, and a lot of them are pretty thin. I mean, they have some some events here and there. I mean, the European ones tend to focus more on adult education Mm -hmm. and more sophisticated. 
sophisticated stuff, but in terms of going to really young kids and really introducing them to the art form, Chicago Opera Theater is is really right up there. Uh, I think the only other company that kind of did something similar was, um, uh, let me look at my notes here, uh, the the Polish National Opera they did a little bit with kids but that that was about what is Florida, it. Florida Grand doing Florida yeah. Grand is they're they're doing a couple interesting things um, they have you know they have a little summer camp for high schoolers they got family days community discussions uh, the most interesting thing they they've got going and this this is, might be their big competition for COT is they have they have a new program called Cadenza which is an opera social group. Um, for sexually exploited young women uh, involved in ses- sex trafficking and things like that, which I think is kind of a, uh, an interesting, uh, certainly going out for the under-advantaged groups, uh, particularly okay, ones thought, who have gone I thought you were going to say like it was going to be like a program where people learn how to write Dorn Cadenzas. <laughs> no. Something about playing everyone's yeah. life. Yeah. 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 We, well, can, we I, can suggest that. I will say that like, if the end game is to get people to come to the opera... Chicago Opera Theater might not be doing a great job because their 2017 season was, well, they had the Fairy Queen, for example. You know, <laughs> I love the Fairy Queen. Though. I love the Fairy Queen too, great. but that's not an opera you want to take children to when they do it the way that it was presented by Andres yeah. Mitisek. So, education and outreach is more than just doing operas for children in the opera house, of course. Yes. Yeah, they're creating their own thing. They're become and. These kids are learning all about it. not just history, but you know, acting, singing, yeah. all these things. And I think they're really on the right track with what other comp- opera companies need to be doing in the U.S. particularly. So that's why they are my pick nice. for education and outreach. Let's wrap up the first segment here to talk about director. Not surprisingly, this field is absolutely dominated by Germans and German-speaking Europe. David Bush, David Hermann, and Tobias Kratzer are the three Germans in the mix. Uh, you also have David McVicker, the Englishman. Uh, David's. Mariusz Trelinski, who is Russian, uh, actually Polish, I think. And uh, the lone woman on this list, Lydia Steyer, who is, she's actually American, but she's based in Germany and has been based there. So from Lydia Steyer. For many years. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah they would <laughs> That's say Steyer. That's probably how she pronounces it. <laughs> no, no, she's a friend of mine. She, said, she says Steyer. You can drink. To me, this category is based on how many new productions you've done. And really, I think the clear favorite here has got to be David Bush. The number of new productions that he's done in the past years. We're looking at Nabucco, a new production of Don Giovanni, a Domineo, Totestat. He just did this piece, this lesser-known corngold piece, uh, Das Wunder der Helian, Trovatore, mm. Cose Fantuti. The list goes on. And really all over the place in terms of what the repertoire is, which is kind of exciting to see in where it's not just the same staples. Yes, well, although it's not all over the world. A lot of this work has been based in Munich. We'll see if that's going to hurt him in the long run. But you think that just sheer number of productions is... Sheer number of new productions. You look at some of these other resumes, something like David McVicker, again, you got to be a clear favorite. He has a lot of productions under his belt, but not a lot of those have been recent new productions in the last mm, couple of years. Yeah. A lot of it has been revivals of his work. But lots of them have been very high profile. Uh-huh. It's gonna, it's gonna be close. I think really between David Bush and David McVicker. As much as I would like Lydia Steyer to win and be the first female winner in the director category <laughs> in I, this venerable competition I, of five. I years think it's like probably, <laughs> I think it's probably unlikely. Um, 
Hey, it's um, too soon. The, the glass ceiling is still very it's, low. It's for very, her, so. very low. Yes. Uh, look, more insider opinions and predictions on the 2018 International Opera Awards coming up next, including we talk about best uh, world premiere, female singer. All of that is next on America's Talk Radio Show about opera. It's only on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. This is America's talk radio show about opera with George Cedarquest, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. That's what you're listening to, all right, Opera Box Score. We're talking about the American Opera Awards with a great crew tonight, Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings. I know you all have been holding your breath for us to come back and discuss <laughs> these awards. And Don't Weston <laughs> Williams. Let's get right to it. Female singer, Matt and Oliver, talk us through the leading ladies. So, the, um, again, no Americans in the, in the female singer. We mm. have Swedish Malin Bjurström, Italian Carmen Giannatasio, Canadian Barbara Hannigan, Chinese soprano Hui He, and uh, Dutch soprano Eva Maria Westbrook. So all sopranos, no Americans. And Albanian. And Albanian. Oh, she got, she got bumped. Yeah. She, no, there's a, there's a, there's a typo. Uh, Albanian soprano Ermonella Yahoo. Uh, still all Sopranos, still no Americans. The ones we've heard here in the U.S. would have been Hui Hei, right? She's been at Lyric a couple times. Yeah. And have we heard anybody else here? Has Malin Boost uh, come? And, and Monella Yahoo just sang at the Met like a couple weeks ago. She did Madame Butterfly there. Okay. And that's like the role that she sang. And Eva Maria Westbrook has been here right. quite yeah. a bit. So <laughs> Ermanella Yahoo was the reader's choice from the last season. So we're not going to listen to her because she's already won something. That's time for her to like, you know, share. Make, <laughs> share. make some space. But Step let's, down from let's the listen to uh, Malin Bustrum. Uh, she does a mean Salome. And we're going to hear the famous uh, kissing the head scene.
What a brutal cutoff there. Sorry. So, <laughs> that's what he said. I, I, when you, because he was, his head did was you, cut off. Are you talking off. about the head? Well, kind of both. Yeah, yeah. When you watch the clip of her singing that, the, though, man, it is nasty. Yeah, yeah it's a And it's nasty in a good production. way. It's, it's nasty like a good twerk is nasty. And I have to think that she is a front runner for this award because that production was so... Agree. Was yeah. made such a splash. And Absolutely. she's not a singer that you would necessarily associate with Salome. She mostly has sung lyric roles. She did... Uh, a bunch of the two of the women in Mozart's Don Giovanni. She's done hmm. the heroine in uh, Guillaume Tell before, and this is really something new. And I'm I find it really exciting. I'm convinced. I mean, so, her tone so, is still beautiful, and usually women who sing Salome end up frying their voice a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I wonder how long she'll be able to sing that role that that beautifully. Yeah. You know? So guys, are you agreeing then that that's your top pick for women? No, my top pick is actually uh, Barbara <laughs> Hannigan. Uh, it's a singer we mentioned here a lot on Opera Box Girl because I think everybody who's on the panel she, is she's just, so unique. She's just such an amazing artist. Like she's, she's a, a delight. She's a conductor. She's whack balls. I mean, she's a great <laughs> musician. She has amazing clothing, and she just is so powerful on stage. And uh, just to sing and conduct at the same time is insane. But to sing as well as she does and conduct and to be so stylish and like just so much personality. It's like you've got to, you've got to just. Give her props. And like her repertoire choices are so interesting. You know? Yeah, we have a clip from probably the easiest aria that she sings in her entire <laughs> repertoire, which yeah. is every soprano's favorite counting aria. Yeah. No word from Tom. Yeah. Well, she uh, just, just to uh, wrap the close the loop on some of these things, like she was in the production written in skin or written, written on skin, skin that oh, won like so Best New Opera a couple good. years ago in the International Opera Awards. So she does, she's known for modern repertoire. Uh, but let's. This is her most accessible <laughs> repertoire, the Stravinsky. Uh, this is a, a concert of her conducting and singing. No word from Tom. crazy to think that she's conducting it, that, and singing. That aria is notoriously difficult to count and yeah. and play and sing and everything. Yeah. And she, I conducting just, at the same time might yeah. make it easier, actually. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. But I have so much respect for her because she is totally unafraid to push the art form further. She mm-hmm. is not going to do what anyone says she should do in terms of what she sings, in terms of being a woman conductor. When she there was a there was an article a couple of years ago about how she. Kind of, re- she kind of made a stink because people were getting mad at her for conducting without a jacket on or not dressed in in male formal male type formal oh, wear. Jesus, and she refused to back down. And I think that that would be a great person to highlight. And in yeah. a, going along the lines of pushing the art form, she is actually raising the bar of what should be expected of singers and musicians. And you know, if you would have asked me, like I don't know, ten years ago. Who I thought was the artist pushing the envelope, I would have said Danielle Denise because she was dancing and singing, you know. 
but this is nothing compared to that. I mean, like, Dan Denise is still, in the, 10 years ago, was an amazing talent. And we should, you know, that's like a benchmark for the, when she did the Cleopatra, the David Vicker Cleopatra. That was amazing at the time. But now. But the videos here, of Barbara Hannigan doing yeah. that, the Gergi Ligeti opera, where she's yeah. contorted in, in, in all kinds mm, yeah. of con- yeah. <laughs> contortions. Yeah. Are, <laughs> uh, and singing crazy little notes that she's just picking out of the air simultaneously that's orchestrated for like crumpled newspaper and slide <laughs> I love it and I don't even think that either of those are made up so <laughs> it's Opera Box Score and WNUR we're talking through the nominees for the International Opera Awards which take place next Monday we're trying to pick winners uh, on our show for yeah. many categories we, including female singer we have to move on to other categories but I just wanted to say that um, previous winners have been uh, Nina Stemm in 2013, who was in Helden Soprano, mm. you know, the dramatic. Helden Soprano, yeah. more, more or less. Then in 2014, Deanna Damrow won it. And, you know, Deanna Damrow's career has taken the path that a lot of coloraturas have taken. Like they're kind of sick of singing coloratura repertoire, so they kind of push their voices to more, you know, lyric and dramatic lyric repertoire. And I'm not sure how successful Damrau is going to be, it's going to do in this new phase of her career. But in 2014, she still had her color to her chops. Anya Harteros, who to me is a very stylish, intelligent singer, but with also kind of a lyrical spinto type of voice, German. The queen of Bayerische Staatsoper. Yes. Uh, and then last, oh, in 2016, one of my favorite singers won, Marielle de Villa, who was like, a hundred years old, but still sounds like better than most people singing her repertoire, <laughs> like in their thirties and forties. And then last year, uh, on her second try, Anna de Trepko won it. Like it feels like Julia Who's that? Roberts <laughs> getting crowned. You know, it's like it's like duh. You know, she's got to get it when she's nominated the second time. So, so is there anybody in this field this year that has the same you know name recognition as any of those singers? No, really not. I mean, Bar- I'd say probably the closest are Barbara Hannigan and Ava Maria Westbrook. Westbrook, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. But does anybody ever say that Ava Maria Westbrook sings beautifully? She, I mean, when you say, she's she's basically the only person who sings the music that she sings, and yeah. she is absolutely fearless, which I have yeah. a lot of respect for. Her Janacek, the Lady Macbeth of Mincense District, yeah. Yeah. Y- you know, no one else does those. Yeah, but is it a voice that you want to hear? Is it a voice I like that... her voice. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I also like her, her repertoire. That's like kind of yeah. where I live, but you know, I, I like it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good, Oliver. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not one of those voices like I think, oh, I want to listen to Everyman Westwick sing, you know? Like, I crave Barbara Hannigan because she has so much to say about what she chooses to sing, you know? And she's your pick to win. She's my pick. She's probably not going to win because I always pick losers. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. She's writing a, writing a wave right now, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, hey, thanks, boys. Moving on to productions. There's two categories for productions new production and world premiere. Weston, talk us through the nominees in your pick for new production. Okay, so we got a, we got a few here, so I'll, I'm going to run through them real quick. Uh, first, we have uh, Wozzeck, directed by William Kentridge uh, at the Salzburg Festival. Um, and Kentridge has kind of uh, become known as an opera production d- uh, guy, director, uh, with his production of The Nose at the Metropolitan Opera, oh, as well yeah, as Lulu. Lulu. Yeah. Uh, and Wozzeck yeah. is very much the same kind of vein. Uh, it's got that sort of crumpled aesthetic uh, with the projections of the animations which he does himself. Uh, he comes he's very interesting to me because he comes from the uh, visual art world. He's mostly known for video art. Uh, that's kind of how I first 
encountered him. And then when I saw that he was doing an opera production back when he did The Nose, I was very excited about it. So I'm, I'm very pro Kentridge. He's a South African artist. He's a very interesting guy, very interesting take. And I think Voltsek is a natural extension of The Nose and Lulu. I mean, it's Berg. Um, uh, so for Lulu, but he's also got Voltec has this humor that people forget about. I think, <laughs> which, which really humor, for sure, for sure. But he definitely lends him lends itself to that larger than life projected, almost caricature esque style. So I think this would, I think in my perfect world, Voltec would probably win just because I like Kentridge and Voltec so much. But I don't think that's going to be my pick. Um, and next up on the list, we have uh, Billy Budd. Uh, directed by Deborah Warner at the Teatro Real. Uh, it, uh, uh, I'm going off of some, you know, YouTube clips and things here, so uh, there might be some information missing. Uh, it's gotten very good reviews. Uh, it looks fairly naturalistic. Um, you know, it's all we got the it's the dark bottom of the boat. You know, as is appropriate for Billy Bud. Um, that's the. Uh, um, it, it feels very. It looks very oppressive. Very dark. Um, there are ropes hanging around like webs. I do say, though, I have to say, though, looking at it, it looked pretty naturalistic to the point of not being really all that interesting. Um, it, I mean, it could be very safe, but I feel like if I was on the, if I was on the committee choosing the, uh, the winners here, I don't think I would go for anything that kind of middle of the road. <clears throat> Death in Venice, however is a little bit of a different story. That's the next one. That's from Stuttgart. Uh, and uh, this one is also kind of, it's kind of minimal, um, not minimalist, but the sets are pretty minimal. Uh, and the clips from this, I think, were the most singularly impressive to me in terms of the uh, acting quality and the performances. But I think the real ace up the sleeve of this production is the collaboration with the Stutt Stuttgart Ballet, um, which includes a bunch of dancers. Uh, very prominently featured is a dancer, uh, Almost nude, and totally in gold, sort of this uh, Mercury Adonis sort of figure dancing around. And I think the Stuttgart Ballet is one of the best in Europe. Uh, and I'm saying that with not a heck of a lot of ballet experience. But every time I see them, I am always incredibly impressed. So I think that's probably um, that's probably their what the, what's going to put them over the edge if they get the uh, the final nomination. Uh, the next one, we have the Glyndebourne, La Clemenza del Tito. Seems fairly standard, semi-naturalistic. Uh, there's video projections, but not in the, in the strange artistic way like Kentridge. I don't think this is going to be too much of a, uh, of a big uh, win here. It seems fine. Uh, <laughs> and granted, this is from, you know, a few clips on YouTube and uh, things like that. Uh, the gutsiest one, I think, on this list uh, is the Stefelio, which is a Verdi opera, which is not done really yeah, at all. Rare. Directed by Graham Vick at the Teatro Reggio di Parma, actually at the, the Verdi Festival, I believe. Um, this one's kind of interesting. Um, the they go in, They're in the middle of the concert hall. Um, they're not in a proscenium setting. They're all in the middle of the room on risers. Uh, the orchestra is off in the corner somewhere. I think it might have been projected, uh, 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 not projected, amplified uh, from the orchestra so the singers could follow. The audience was standing and milling around, walking back and forth. Apparently, there were people in the audience who were actually plants, who were part of the chorus. Um, I saw a little 360-degree video on YouTube of part of it uh, to give you a sense of the experience. And uh, it, it was very interesting. I think it's the kind of, uh, it's certainly the kind of, edgy production that I would normally support, but I'm not sure 
Verity is the best, just because it Verity is so designed for the proscenium stage. You so know what if, I mean? If gun to your head, which one do you think is going to take it away? Um, if, if, right off the top of my head, I feel like I feel like the the one that's going to take it would be. Death in Venice at Stuttgart. Really? Um, yeah, I, I just so. I just looked at the little preview video and it looks so regular to me. You know. I mean, it, it does. I, I do. I don't think it's you my say favorite that like it's one. It's a bad thing. Well, it, the I don't know what the judging panel is looking mm. for though. This is I mean, true. I, the, I, the the Billy Bud looks gorgeous. Mm. It, I, it looks and looks, there's all that water on the stage. So does the there Ma- is water Meister on the stage. Zinger looks amazing as well. Well, Meisterzinger, I think uh, the concept for Meisterzinger is that it's all about Wagner and Wagner's Hans Sachs and Wagner's everyone and Wagner is these is productions on photos trial. make me want to cry that I'm they're just so beautiful I did not have so that boring. reaction <laughs> okay I mean I, is I that love the one that is not coming to the Met after all you, I don't know the, the Meisterzinger I don't there would think that was on the table I'm not sure no, uh, no it was a different that was the Hairheim. this yes, this is the one at Bayreuth um, yeah I think that I think the problem with the Bayreuth is that it's such a I mean, what if Wagner was on trial for his anti-Semitism in Meisterzinger as a character? I feel like is a kind of a... I mean, I don't have any proof that it's been done before, but I'd be shocked if it hadn't been done before. It just seems like such an obvious angle to take. I don't think it's... Well, we'll see if you're right, yeah. Weston. You've you made your choice, man. You're going to yeah. have to stick with it. I'm sticking with Death in Venice. On the other end of the scope, of course, is the best uh, world premiere. And this is a long list. I'm, I'm not going to run through the whole list here. i got to give a shout-out to, to the two American shows that are listed here. The Mason Bates, uh, Mark Campbell, opera, hey. The Evolution of Steve Jobs. And then also... Mark Campbell with Julian Grant, Burke and Hare for short. That was at Boston Lyric. I mean, obviously those are the guys we're cheering for. USA, USA. <laughs> Friends of the podcast and everything. Here's the fact of the matter is this, is when you look at the previous winners in this category, most of them are adaptations of films, books, existing plays. Thomas mm. Addis' Exterminating Angel was the winner last year. Two years before that, Jennifer Higdon, Cold Mountain, it makes me think that uh, the winner, and I guess I'm going to hedge my bets here, is either the production at Glyndebourne of Hamlet, the adaptation by Australian Brett Dean, or it's going to be this adaptation at the uh, Frankfurt Opera by Arnulf Hermann of Der Meter, or The Tenant, which is this bizarre Roman Polanski film. It is so weird. It's a really freaky movie. It's it's probably going to be one of those two. Outside choice would be uh, Sebastian Fagerlund, his opera Autumn Sonata, which is also based on a film. We will see what happens there. I've split oh, my bets. Let's let's take a little, just a tiny bit more time and just try, try to hash out why is there a best opera company category? <laughs> and what does that mean? Like best at you sold the most tickets? Like... You have the cleanest bathrooms. Like, I don't know. Like, how do you judge what the best company is like, based on what criteria, you know? I mean, I, I guess I would judge it on the choices of the repertoire. So what operas are being picked and how are those going to be presented? Are they going to be presented in straight revivals? Are they being presented in new productions? When I look at this list, Bavarian State Opera, Lyric Opera of Chicago, Opera Graz, Opera North, Teatro... Real, um, it, it seems to me that the Bavarian State Opera is is really the clear choice. Absolutely, I, I, it seems like there's no contest in terms of, and I would add on to what you have to say in terms of casting. 
they their casts are out of this world because they're in the middle of Europe and they have access to all the people who don't necessarily want to come here for six weeks. The Jonas Kaufmans, the Anya Harteros, yeah. is like really world class singers that we don't get to hear in the states very much. They have first dibs on basically. Well, let's close this segment with one more clip. Uh, this is the 2018 Lifetime Achievement winner, the Cecil, De- Cecil DeMille Prize. Cecil, Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> yeah. uh, this year, uh, going to You'll Teresa Braganza. Like previous winners have been Gerard Mortier in 2014, Spate Jenkins in 15, Brigitte Fassbender 16, and last year, Renata Scotto. Teresa Braganza, for you youngins out there, uh, is a Spanish <laughs> mezzo-soprano who uh, is cherished for her interpretations of Mozart and Rossini, an amazing recitalist, brought a lot of attention to the Spanish repertoire in her recital work. One of my favorite recordings of Carmen, which is kind of... And bizarrely (laughs) had a big smash with her Carmen, which was like the most chaste and like musically accurate (laughs) Carmen ever recorded. Dignified. Yeah, with really clean, you know, uh, articulation and like, you know, a very like just chaste is the best way to say like she's like a more of a naive, like innocent... Carmen, you know, because she's very Spanish, yeah, in, in in a prideful kind of way, elegant and yeah. elegant Carmen. But let's listen to her in one of her signature roles. Uh, this is Non so più cosa son cosa faccio, Carabino's first aria. Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Give me 60 more seconds of your time so I can share a secret with you. When I tell people about Opera Box Score, they always ask, how come we're a live talk radio show, not just a podcast? The answer? We want to give listeners like you the chance to call into our show and have your opinion heard live on air. It's easy. Stream our show live on WNUR.org slash pop-up on Mondays at 9 p.m. Central Time. Then give us a call during the broadcast with your take on what we're talking about. The number? 847-866-WNUR. Wait, do people even have letters on their phones anymore? 847-866-9687. Talk to you later. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land in less than two minutes. Chris Goldschneider spent more than a decade with the orchestra of the Royal Opera House in London, where he rose to the number six viola chair. But in summer 2012, during a rehearsal of Wagner's Die Valkyrie, a blast from the orchestra's 18-member brass section left him with 
devastating and permanent hearing loss. By 2014, the effects of the, quote, acoustic shock were so bad he was forced to retire, and he later sued the Opera House. Last Wednesday, in a landmark case with far-reaching consequences, Britain's High Court of Justice ruled that the Royal Opera House was liable for his injury. Placido Domingo is around 80 years old. Last Thursday, he sang for the first time the father of the title character in Verdi's Louisa Miller at the Met. It was the 149th new role of his career. Conductor Andres Nelsons and soprano Christine Opale have divorced following seven years of marriage. A statement said, quote, Both Mr. Nelsons and Ms. Opale are united in putting their daughter at the center of their private lives. With complete respect and admiration for one another, they look forward to continuing their artistic relationship together. The Glyndebourne Opera Cup focuses on a different single composer or strand of the repertoire each time as it's held. And this year, the featured composer was Mozart and the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment accompanied 10 finalists conducted by James Gaffigan. Mezzo-soprano Samantha Hanke, 25 from the U.S., was crowned the overall winner. Last week was the premiere of composer Mark Anthony Turnage's fourth opera, an adaptation of Neil Gaiman's book Coraline. That was at the Royal Opera House. Conductor Gustavo Dudamel will be artist-in-residence at Princeton University next season. And on this day, April 2nd, Hans Christian Andersen, the Danish writer, was born in 1895. That is your two-minute drill. A lot of good stuff to talk about there. Great wrap-up on the International Opera Awards. Thanks for listening to Opera Box Score. And how great to finish with that tribute to... She's still alive. Mezzo soprano Teresa. <laughs> still pay her tribute. You can you can pay tribute to living people with someone that voice with with that voice. You can pay tribute to her. That's that's exactly. fair. <laughs> exactly. I didn't so, even man. I didn't even get around to mentioning on the two minute drill the photos of um, soprano Nadine Sierra in a bikini. What are you talking about? Uh, just go to our website operaboxcore.com. <laughs> but why why what does that have to do with this week? Is it just something you found? You were like perusing? I, just, I was just on the internet, like dude, late engine, at night. Like opera singers in bikinis? I mean, just, I mean, I do that all the time, so I perf- I'm right there with you, George. There's a whole thread on Reddit, which is called Nude Opera Singers. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, actually, Weston, this was your article. Oh, the uh, the, the um, Goldschneider article. The reckoning. Did, did the Royal Opera House, did they get their just desserts or really... Should they have been innocent in this? I think this it's utterly fascinating that this that this went through because this is this is obviously a problem that affects probably not just this one uh, this one uh, violist. Uh, you know, there you're, you're sitting in an orchestra pit, and having been in various bands and orchestras in my life, I am I can say that sitting behind trumpets or in the general vicinity of piccolos, I can absolutely believe that that would lead to hearing loss of some I'm kind. I'm honestly surprised that this is the first real... At least in that England. This is, is a basically new story in England. You would think that this is something that more people are aware of. I've definitely had an Easter gig with trumpets playing right in my ear where yep, I had yep, to say yep. something. You know, it is It's it's very interesting that uh that um th- there have been so many uh there there have been multiple cases like this, but this is the first time in uh Britain that the company has been found liable for it. So the question is uh cuz I believe in the article they were talking about um uh 
adequate safety measures were not in place to prevent this this acoustic uh, shock. Um, and so the question is, what, what, what do you do? I mean, in Wagner, you can't really get quieter. I mean, I guess you could provide earplugs. Uh, but there are, there are I, I would assume that there are more comprehensive earplugs than the ones that they were given. I mean, I suppose, but it's very difficult because, you know, or like also having been in it, of the sound shields, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's it's very difficult because you want to blend, you want to be able to hear every single thing that's happening when you're in an orchestra, uh, especially I think especially when you're in an ensemble, an instrumental ensemble, because it's very hard to hear things that are not you. But what it comes down to to me is that when you're a musician, your ears are really your instrument as much as anything else is. If you can't hear, you can't adjust, you can't blend, you can't really follow. Yeah, you, that is. A serious injury to sustain, and yeah. one that's ne- near irreversible. So, are we going to see other lawsuits like this appear now, all of a sudden, out of the woodwork? And I, again, I agree with this ruling. I I hope that it turn that it turns more into more preventative measures instead yeah, of having. To, I agree. It. In, instead of having there to be more punitive damages or something like that. And I, I'd be interesting in lear- interested in learning about what are some ways to prevent this kind of thing from happening, uh, you know, just on a, on a purely, uh, uh, on a purely, w- without compromising the music, what are some things that aren't just earplugs or moving the trumpets away, which is always a good and idea. And the onus is really on everyone <laughs> to figure that out. I think it's on the companies, but it's also, uh, in my opinion, the responsibility of brass players to know <laughs> that that, is a thing that can happen when they're playing. In really, they should ears. have held the trumpet players responsible because you not know. not legally <laughs> responsible, but in terms of but in terms of finding solutions, the orchestra musicians need to be part of the need to be part of the conversation. Oh Both. yeah, the entire orchestra needs to talk and know yeah. about these things. And this is not something that's usually right. Not in terms of liability. Yeah, but in terms of moving forward and solving the problem. It, yeah, it's really everyone's problem to need to solve. Exactly. Oliver Camacho. This over has been. To I you. mean, like that's been going on forever. I don't know how this could be a lawsuit now. Like in this, like there has been. I feel like this experience is older than all of us put together. You know, so why is it coming up now? You know. Hey, that's what people say about sexual assault from yeah. ten years yeah. ago. <laughs> the reckoning of the <laughs> brass players. We just have a few more reckonings going yeah. on in the classical music community. Um, so this new twist in the story of um, maybe it's the continuation of the Tosca saga. This Opale Nelson's divorce. Maybe they were having trouble, like you know, a year ago when oh, the, yeah. all the cancellations started happening. And so maybe that's. I mean, I just scrapped it up to Christine Opale's not being able to sing it, you know. It, but you know, I, I, I mean, who doesn't want to believe the intrigue? But yeah. I don't know. It seems like there were <laughs> there were pretty good reasons for uh, most of the people who backed out, especially the replacement yeah. conductor. It, it's yeah. it seems strange to me that that in this prepared statement that we're quoting from that. That they say they look forward to continuing their artistic relationship together. I, I don't know how that would be possible. That's just me. Well, well I, it's I, definitely I, beneficial to her if they do. They're, they kind of become a package deal, and I think that he's the more sought after one. So. Oh, I don't. Mm, I don't know, I don't about, know about that, man. I, I would have. I would have said the other way around. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, he's got he's got some pretty nice appointments, and her gigs seem to be drying up, in terms of the having backed out of a couple in a row. I And I don't really know of her working very much outside of the Met, personally. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, so, you know, whatever happens, I hope they are happy now that they can <laughs> spend some time apart 
if the intrigue is actually full of intrigue and not just a, you know, uh, a business decision. Well, you certainly hope they're more happy now that they're divorced. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so the uh, Glyndebourne Opera Cup, uh, there were no men. I don't know if there were any men competing, but there were no men <laughs> that were finalists. And it was almost an American sweep here. Um, Samantha Hankey, uh, Jacqueline Stucker, and third prize winner um, Emily Pogoreltz. Uh, there was only one uh, non-American singer in the finalist category, which is third place taken by uh, Albanita Kajtazi from Kosovo. Yeah, nice yeah. job. You're mm. going to get that WFMT yeah. job. Yeah, dude. you are. Um, yeah, so, but I mean, that's cool that they, I didn't, this, I'm Glamour Opera Cup, I think is is a brand new competition. Uh, Janet Baker handed out the award, and this year they chose Mozart as the, composer you know uh focus which i think is a good thing to do like let's let's have like we have a tchaikovsky competition let's have like a mozart competition for singing you know isn't every <laughs> aria competition basically a mozart competition that's, that was that's what what I'm true, true. <laughs> but if you do limit it to mozart then you open it up to more unusual mozart I, mean, I think we should uh, have an albenberg only uh competition sure. but that's just me sure. that's just you yeah oh man those tickets would just be flying <laughs> yeah. off the i would be there rack. all the time it'd be great you'd have plenty of seats <laughs> tell you that I love Mark Anthony Turnage. Mm. This is his fourth opera that he's written, Coraline, that is at the Royal Opera House. His other operas are The Silver Tassel, Greek, and Anna Nicole. And I've seen two of those three. I don't know if anybody does The Silver Tassel. But Greek is totally nasty, aggro, punk. Anna Nicole is very similar to, say, Jerry Springer, the opera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I haven't listened to the music of, of Coraline, but... The book is brilliant, if you like Neil Gaiman. The production photos are fantastic. The movie's good, too. And I have, there's something that's really appealing to me about taking a book that's that, that's that length and that density already and, and turning it into a watchable hour, a, a watchable, in terms of scope, piece of theater versus trying to condense War and Peace into a two-hour evening, a two to three to four to five-hour evening. It's, I think the coffee of War and Peace was like five right, and a half hours. Exactly. <laughs> it, it make, it's manageable, and it makes it e easier to... It helps. I have to imagine it helps with the pacing. Yes, and, I mean, look, credit where credit is due. Rory Malarkey did the libretto. It wasn't actually Neil Gaiman. Not that that's unusual. There's lots of books always adapted where the original author has nothing to do with the libretto. And some changes were made to the original Gaiman story. But this feels like this is good news coming out of the Royal Opera House. I feel like they've had a tough run of it in the last couple years. Admittedly, this production is at the Barbican Center. It's not at Covent Garden in the oh, really? main space. Yep. Smart move, right? Yeah, Contemporary yeah. opera, go for a slightly smaller venue that's not right in, you know, uh, I mean, the Barbican is in central London, but it's not right in Covent Garden. Seems like a, a smart loop move here, and um, no idea if this would ever make it to the U.S. or not, but I hope it does. I want to see it. I, I think Coraline has a, the story has a, a big enough fan base to draw in some people. We will see. Watch this space. Uh, hey, boys, time to wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. It's been a great show. Thanks for sticking around. To our listeners, to Opera Box Score on WNUR. You guys survived uh, Holy Week, by the way. Oh, bless up! Yeah, That's what I have to say. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're all we're shredded. Yeah, 
Um, there's things I could say about the equivalents in uh, um, like gay sex, how I feel, but um, I'm, this is a family <laughs> Wait, let's, show. Let's so. try to keep it. Let's try to keep it air friendly, Oliver. Um, so I wanted. I do want to recommend some things that are happening in Chicago for those who are not in Chicago. I'm sorry, um, but. It's like a great month for Vivaldi singing in Chicago. Uh, Vivica Janot is coming to sing with their Coast Broke this weekend. I think we talked about it last week, or you did in my absence. But later on this month, uh, the amazing young Polish countertenor, uh, Jacob Orlinski, Jacob Josef Orlinski, he's like 27. He just got a recording contract. There's so few people getting recording contracts these days. But there's a video that's gone viral of him singing at some, like, some summer festival he's like wearing cargo shorts and like a rolled up uh, Oxford shirt and um, like gym shoes he looks like a total bro and he's singing this most gorgeous Vivaldi lament and it's like stunningly beautiful and so he's coming to Chicago to sing with uh, the Music of the Baroque Orchestra with uh, soprano Scheherazade Pantanki conducted by Paul Agnew so if you're in Chicago find that concert I will be there Matt Cummings. Uh, my my good call is also I'm going to be going to Vivica Genoa, and I'm excited. Nice. Very good. <laughs> Weston Williams, you got anything? Uh, my good call is I will be humming discordantly in the car on the way home, and it's going to be great. You will all listen to it. <laughs> okay. I, got, I got a bad call right now. Michigan <laughs> down by 15 to Villanova. This oh, no. Is not, yeah, it's not, 12 minutes left in the second half. This is not looking, looking good. Happen. Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Check out his work at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And if you listen to the podcast version of our show, please leave a review. It's the cheapest, fastest, and bestest way to promote our work. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Matt Cummings and Weston Williams, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera even if your team didn't win the NCAA basketball tournament. We're back on Monday, April 9th at 9 p.m. Central. More opera news, more hot takes. Join us. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago's sound experiment.